We have a new show at Turpentine that's been in the works for a long time, Company Breakdowns. We dive into S1s and Series B and Beyond companies, interviewing founders and investors to break down the companies. First episode is on Rubrik, which IPO'd this week. Upcoming episodes cover Reddit, Databricks, and more. Subscribe at the link in the description or search for Company Breakdowns on YouTube or in the podcast platform of your choice. I think everyone should have an experimental feed. I, I, it benefits us so much to try, you know, hey, what if we have a more informal conversation? Like we promoted this one content type called Sessions from the LP feed to the main feed. We did our first one with Jason Calacanis. It was really compelling to like sit around in a living room and use different mics to make everyone feel more casual. We use lav mics instead of these big honking mics in front of us. Um, we drank wine, we had snacks, and it was like, a, it, it, but it worked. Like, find a reason to exist because there's just so much out there and people's attention. There's just everything competing for their time. So how do you find some reason why they should spend it on your thing versus something else? It is shocking to me how much compounding happens on improving the craft. We just introduced a big change in the way that we produce episodes seven and a half years in, like a few weeks ago on their on our NFL episode. And I was like, oh, that made it so much better again. How did how did we go this long before learning that we could do that? Welcome to Media Empires, where we sit down with the most influential media creators right now to learn exactly how they built their empires. Our aim is to extract the secrets of top tier podcasters, newsletter authors, and media creators who are breaking the old rules for media success. Whether you're looking to start your own empire or simply curious about the nuts and bolts behind media businesses, you'll find valuable insights and tactics in each episode. Grab your headphones, let's dive in. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio, not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short form clips directly from Riverside. Because as any listener of this show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for Riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code MEDIAEMPIRES to get a 20% discount. Ben, welcome to Media Empires. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. So Ben, by way of introduction, uh, why don't you give a little bit of background of the different phases uh, that Acquired has gone through? If you were to look back at its history and and talk through the, the evolution of the of the media property and, and the different phases, how, how would you categorize it? Really bad, bad, and getting better. I'd say is probably the the phases. <laughs> we uh, that's a it's a great question. It started in twenty late twenty fourteen, early twenty fifteen, as an idea that took a whole year before we recorded the first episode. It was this thing where. Um, I had met David Rosenthal at work. We both worked at Madrona Venture Group. And uh, I was in the labs group and he was in the, you know, he's a proper investor. He was a principal at the time. And um, we just sort of wanted to form a better friendship. We felt like we had good charisma and um, good chemistry every time we hung out. And the podcast was a forcing function for us to do more of that. And I think like many great adventures in life, the whole thing kind of works because of that friendship. And so it, it was this um, idea, then uh, attempted a podcast that wasn't wasn't um, wasn't super compelling, to be honest, when I listened to the, those early episodes. You can sort of hear the seeds of what it could become, um, but it wasn't very good. And then uh, eventually, uh, more than a hobby, it's David's full-time job now. Um, we're a top five uh, technology podcast in the world. Um, on Apple and Spotify. And so there, there's a certain amount of um, 
bar raising that has happened with every single episode over the last 250 where we just keep trying to outdo ourselves. And I'm not sure that the phases are that discreet other than we just kind of keep listening to the audience and trying to make it bigger and better and more fun every time. How about the phases on a content level? Like how have you thought about different content formats? You obviously, you nailed the sort of hardcore history for tech and kind of covering companies, but you also have experimented with venture firms. You also, of course, yeah. have the acquired LP channel that does interviews and different kind of content. How have you thought about experimenting with content and uh, what do you expect going forward? Yeah, great questions. So uh, I was talking with David last night and figured out we had seven taglines over the years. And uh, it, it started with acquisitions that actually went well. And the, the notion was, hey, there's a lot of podcasts out there, which in 2015, by comparison to today, there were not, but it, it sure felt like there were. So it felt like we needed some reason for existence and some justification of, of our existence um, if we were going to do something. And so I felt like it was a compelling format to create, um, we're going to tell a little bit of a story and then we're going to do a bunch of analysis and a bunch, I mean like 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, and then we're going to issue a grade of was that acquisition good for the shareholders of the acquire, acquirer or not. And um, uh, it, it turned out that that actually was a pretty good format that made it so that we could do a bunch of episodes. And I think that's kind of the hardest thing in creating any indie media uh, that you're starting from a standing start is can you do a bunch of it because in all my attempts at blogging over the years i never found like a consistent thing i could write about or a consistent format that my posts could adhere to so they were all over the place and sometimes i would do two in a month or sometimes i do two in a year and so providing that notion of what an acquired episode was made it so that we could create something regular. And so as we earned more trust from listeners, it wasn't necessarily just tech acquisitions that went well. It could be tech IPOs or it could be tech acquisitions that didn't go well. And as we gained more sort of trust from our listeners over the years and we realized, oh, what they care about is hearing us explore a topic rather than this very particular format that anybody could sort of do, uh, we realized we had a lot more leeway to do bigger, longer episodes, do much more into the storytelling. Uh, we kind of realized over time that was the job to be done for our listeners was the the storytelling aspect rather than just the analysis aspect. Um, and, you know, then we branched into Berkshire Hathaway and the New York Times and even Taylor Swift. Yeah, fascinating. And you adopted the the LP channel. Uh, how do you think about the difference between what goes in acquired show, what goes in the LP channel? Is that something that you'd recommend, you know, uh, other, like, should Harry Stebbings also have an LP? Like, how, how do you think about that? Well, the, the, the LP program, which we created, uh, I regret the name a little bit. We, we created it, uh, with a sort of a tongue in cheek notion that the, you know, the people that power the engine of a venture firm and make it all possible and are the biggest supporters are the limited partners, the people whose true capital it is. And so for us on Acquired, we wanted to create this notion of, you know, the, the people who economically enable us to do what we want to do and get the privileged information and, and have, um, you know, the, the closest look into sort of David and I as the GP. And um, uh, as, as the program became more successful and the show grew more, we just get a lot of people asking us like, what does it mean? And what's an LP and, um, real LPs being like, 
oh, is this LP specific content? You know, we've got all these university endowment folks that, that we know well now. And they're like, is it, is it, you know, why are you talking to people who aren't LPs on this show? So, uh, yeah, names, but, um, the having the channel has been unbelievably beneficial because it lets us experiment with content types before we decide if we're going to lean into it hard or not. And so uh, what that means is now that Acquired reaches I don't know, a quarter million people a month, probably a little bit more than that, um, the content that goes in the main feed, we treat with like the highest um uh degree of you know every sentence is carefully picked over in you know three listens to the edit and we just hold it in this ridiculous regard where like you won't see us doing a lot of feed drops or advertisements for hey go check out this other show or um terribly experimental content in there because it, it's sort of um reaches so many people so quickly and and we've really built a brand or we hope to build a brand around the quality of that content. We don't make those promises in the LP feed. We say like, all right, uh, we think someone should do a six-part series on the fundamentals of how to be a venture capitalist. And like, I don't think that belongs in the acquired feed, but we're going to do that. Or, hey, we want to go interview this founder who, you know, was a, a VP at Facebook and is starting a startup and is like doing some really interesting stuff at that startup. But like, does everyone need to know about it right now? No, but you know, we'll talk about it. We'll get into some war stories from his time at Facebook and, you know, th that'll be great content. And I think we learn from getting to do that. Um, not to mention it's, it's, uh, it's meaningful to the business too. T totally. And, and so the last part of my question was, would you advise you know, your other peers in the podcast? Like, should Harry have a show, you know, or other people have kind of a similar setup or how do you think about that? Yeah, the, so I think the the um, way to analyze this is to break it into two parts. One, should people have an experimental feed? And two, should people have a paid subscription offering? Um, I think everyone should have an experimental feed. I, I, it benefits us so much to try, you know, hey, what if we have a more informal conversation? Like we promoted this one content type called Sessions from... Uh, the LP feed to the main feed. We did our first one with Jason Calacanis. It was really compelling to like sit around in a living room and use different mics to make everyone feel more casual. We use lav mics instead of these big honking mics in front of us. Um, we drank wine, we had snacks, and it was like, a, it, it, but it worked. Like it, 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 it played really well. And so we want to do a lot more of that. We've, we've promoted it to the main feed. But there's stuff like the VC fundamentals series where like it was a small discrete series. It belongs there. It, it shouldn't be it shouldn't become a major content type for the quarter million people that listen to acquired. Um, so I think everyone should have an experimental feed. Uh, I do think let's put tech and business aside for a moment. I do think all other podcasters should have a paid program for their most loyal listeners because uh, for most podcasters, I think it could be about 50% of their revenue. If you sort of look at the ad revenue and the direct revenue, um, but the types of folks who listen to Acquired, who listen to, I imagine, I don't, I don't have the sort of sponsor kit or anything, I imagine 20VC or Just Like the Best um, uh, have such tremendous purchasing power uh, if they're like the, the Acquired audience, uh, CEOs, executives, founders, VCs, LPs, family office folks, um, that the sort of things that they buy have unbelievably long LTVs. And so... Um, depending on how you run your advertising program, um, you know, you could really lean into, oh, we only are selling B2B SaaS products. And this is more like, 
um, you know, the, the, the airport ad type of, uh, of business than it is the um, um, sort of selling mattresses. And there's also an interesting idea as to whether at some point, you, you, you said tongue in cheek that you call your uh, subscribers LPs, but, you know, if you had an opportunity to, if people had an opportunity to invest in the acquired in some capacity, have some percentage of upside or, or just feel an even closer tie to the, to the growth of the show, they would. Because you know it's such a strong uh, relationship. I, I don't know if it, the sort of mechanism to do that exists yet, but I'm curious if you think it will at some point. Yeah, and it's funny. We've realized over time that um, as we have uh, removed some of the value of being an LP, and and in particular, uh, we have moved away from episodes are exclusively available to limited partners. Uh, for the last year or so, we've been just windowing the content before releasing it publicly in a public LP feed, which gets um, at least 10x more distribution than the private feed, because now the folks that we have on the LP, LP program are so fantastic that we think, actually, what this really should be a, a, a more widely listened to interview, not to mention, then it could also be a platform where we sell sponsorships. So there's sort of missed opportunity by, by gating it um, too tightly. But what we've seen that's interesting is as we have leaned away from making LP programs synonymous with exclusive content, most folks have actually stuck around. And I think it's because of exactly what you're saying, the desire to do that transaction to become an acquired limited partner is around being closer to the fold of this thing that I have strong affinity for, that I want to have a closer relationship with. And so uh, David and I are absolutely trying to figure out what's the right interaction models to support that job to be done? Like, should people be able to like vote on future episodes or something like that to, um, to be a little bit uh, closer to how the sausage is made? Yeah, it makes sense. Now that David is full time, uh, what do you expect in terms of the future of acquired? Like, well, we, is it, is it higher quantity? You, you guys have been <laughs> fairly low quantity, but extremely high quality or, or, you know, with that more time, like, what do you plan to do? <sighs> better episodes and probably fewer of them. Um, we, we, we've probably reached a steady state uh, at this point where we basically do one deep dive a month. Like last night, we just finished recording LVMH. Uh, and so one, you know, four hour hero piece of content, basically a book on a, a short book on a company. Um, and then uh, every month also doing some kind of interview but trying not to be primarily an interview show because I think it's harder to differentiate the content. Uh, and if you are going to be an interview show, like we want the interviews you can get on Acquired to feel super different than a typical interview show. Like we want, in my dream of dreams, every interview we do is like the benchmark dinner where it's like, holy crap, you sat down with all five benchmark partners at their dinner table at this sacred thing that they do. And like, heard them speak that and, and they don't speak as a group. It's this rare thing. So that, that to me is sort of the goal of what the bar should be for main show interviews in the future. And so, uh, David being full time, uh, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if it, 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 where should his more time go? Or if I have free time, where should my free time go? I, I think we're, uh, we're trying to be the Hermes, not the LVMH. And we're trying to figure out, you know, what is the, uh, how can we do sort of the fewest, very best episodes we possibly can? Yeah, I, I love that about your model that it seems, um, you know, much more relative to other shows. 
it, it compounds over time and people go back and, and listen. Whereas, you know, I've done an interview show for a while and a number of other people have, and that same guest that I interviewed two years ago has been on a dozen other interview shows since, and there's just less kind of like staying power, uh, or, you know, the, uh, in terms of listening to it two, two years later. There are some guests, though, that like I was just listening to a Mark Andreessen episode that just came out this morning on a new podcast that I'd never even heard of before. And I was like, I could listen to an infinite amount of Mark Andreessen talk. He is so novel every time he shows up. And it it doesn't matter who's interviewing him because he's going to talk for 95% of the time and it's going to be excellent. Which podcast was it? It was Lunar Society. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. You must have a number of people who uh, come to you and say, hey, I really admire what you guys have done. I too want to create a podcast in 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 tech and business. Um, what's your advice for me? What what is the most common advice you find yourself giving that perhaps is uh is not obvious in terms of how to differentiate or what the opportunity is or things to know? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I think uh, I'm not sure I have something novel to say here. I think the most obvious thing is uh, f- find a reason to exist because there's just so much out there and people's attention. There's just everything competing for their time. So how do you find some reason why they should spend it on your thing versus something else? Two things that I I do find myself giving as advice uh, fairly often. One is you don't have to be better. You just have to be different consistently. And what I mean by that is the internet now has three plus billion people on it. And so if you start something and put your flag in the ground and say, I'm different in this way, and you do it for an infinite amount of time, and you have a a decent way to market it, to get the word out. I mean, the the, the better you are at marketing, the uh, less time theoretically it should, it should take, and, and hopefully it doesn't take an infinite amount of time. But the people who opt into your brand of weird will find it. And so, uh, you know, unlike opening the local bakery, you don't have to be better than the bakery down the street you just have to be super different. And in the local bakery situation, like being super different where like you don't have chocolate uh, would be a bad business decision because there's not enough people in your neighborhood who don't like chocolate probably. Uh, But on the internet, like I'm sure you can find some sufficient niche to turn that into a viable business opportunity. So I, I, I think like the biggest advice is go be different in some super describable way and then my second big piece of advice is um, that canonical wisdom or, or advice is essentially an average of a distribution of data points. And the thing that I hate about averages is they hide the shape of the distribution. And so someone's going to tell you like, oh, you should keep your podcast around 40 minutes. And like, maybe, but also maybe your particular content type exists two, three standard deviations from the mean. And that average advice actually doesn't apply to you. You know, the, the advice for acquired of, Hey, you know, release uh, one episode every week, because that's what you sort of need to keep people hooked enough. It it somehow just didn't apply to us. And I can't, I, I can tell you my speculation as to why, but I can't tell you for sure the reason why. And the only way to know over time is lean into what you think works for your particular content type and audience, even if it may not follow the average advice. That, that, that's helpful. 
so so the conceit of of uh, media empires and podcast empires of course is uh is is me getting advice on trying to build a podcast empire slash <laughs> media empire so so with that um you know right when we got on i said i'm building a podcast network and, and you said smart and part of you is trying to be nice i'm sure uh you know a, a part of you also has some no idea i think it's smart idea in mind of 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 why why it's smart so um Flush, fl- unpack that a bit more. Like, wh- what's the opportunity from your eyes, or wh- what's smart about it, or wh- what comes to mind? Well, let's see. There's a few few reasons why I think it's smart. One is the hardest thing in any of this racket is distribution. So once you have distribution, um, y- you should recognize that you have this unbelievably scarce resource, and what do you do with it? And acquired has chosen to basically maintain option value with with that um, and build brand with our our relation uh, and build brand with our listeners around uh, we're not going to do anything w- with that uh, scarce resource that we have other than just keep giving you the very best acquired we can create. But there's a huge opportunity to use that to bootstrap other shows. So I think the the idea of starting a network where you're going to point attention from one show to another, you can very quickly get a show off the ground. Um, you know, you, you could probably save acquired six, seven years off of our seven-year journey to, um, to start a new show. So that's why I think it's smart. Um, there's economies of scale around ad sales. So rather than, you know, just... Uh, uh, having the one-off conversations that I have with potential sponsors, you could represent a whole network of shows. You can bundle packages together. Um, you could hire dedicated people and have them sell for multiple shows. There's definitely economies of scale there. Um, the other thing that is both Acquired's greatest strength and biggest weakness is 100% of the enterprise value is David and I. And so there's really no, like, there's really nothing to buy if you were going to buy Acquired if you don't have David and I, and if you don't have us producing the content for the foreseeable future, I mean, how much is the brand really worth without either of us? Probably zero. Like we, we have the trademark, but like, why do we have the trademark? And so there's this interesting um, Achilles heel there. And if you're able to take the success of a show that is super tied to a personality, like you look at Ben Thompson um, starting to introduce some things in the Stratechery bundle that aren't Ben Thompson, it's a way to actually build enterprise value and um, uh, and value in the brand umbrella of Stratechery that is not specifically around needing Ben. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by what Ben is doing. And for the audience that hasn't yet followed, he's building a kind of a bundle of shows uh, he's using the Sharp brand, so he's got Sharp Tech, Sharp China. Uh, I think he he's now got an NBA show as well, uh, and, and maybe one other one that I'm that I'm missing. And um, they're actually they're all behind a paywall, and I believe they all have over ten thousand listeners uh, or paid listeners, um, which which in the you know typical Ben way, I guess he likes to focus on a more niche but more loyal and you know uh, you know paid uh, audience, which is an interesting trade off. I'm 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 exploring potentially also doing different verticals. What, what, the first show I have out, outside of this uh, group show, uh, it's called Moment of Zen. The first show is an AI-based show and trying to create like what Bankless has created in crypto space for, for AI, uh, given it's kind of emerging. I'm, I'm curious how, how you'd approach it. You guys have decided not to approach it, but let's just say in another alter universe, you were dedicated on expanding shows and leveraging kind of the uh, you know acquired brand. How would you think about like white space for different shows or how would you go about it? Let's see. 
The only way that anybody knows how to do anything is pattern matching off of what has gone well for them in the past. And so that biases everyone's advice always. And the things that have gone well for me in the past have all been very slow. I, I have never had, I've never been part of a startup that like became a unicorn very quickly. All the ones that I've been um, sort of an investor in or, or, uh, or helped to found uh, have, have sort of grown slowly and methodically. And I think media, um, at, at least acquired, has followed that playbook. We have brethren, you know, you look at uh, Packy McCormick or Mario with The Generalist, uh, who, who grew very quickly. I mean, it's incredible. I think Packy started not boring over the pandemic and quickly got to 100,000, 150,000 subscribers in that first, I can't remember the exact numbers, but maybe 18 months. And acquired it has been a seven-year journey to hit a quarter million. So my approach to it, because it's all I know, would be to try to slowly introduce um, uh, and then fork the new content types. So we probably would have someone join us as a guest for a few episodes to build that audience kinship with the person, helping us do some analysis. Uh, let's say we were going to do AI, um, you know, that we would probably want a co-host for that to help with uh, a, a few episodes on companies in that area, and then introduce the idea that they're starting their own show, um, maybe do that as a feed drop in Acquired, which doesn't feel like the, you know, the, the organism should reject it because we already know that person. They've been along for the ride. Um, so I think I would try to like do it all, do it all as slow as possible and then let uh, years do their thing on the compounding rather than trying to like take a look at the analytics after three months and figure out if it's working. That makes sense in terms of a process perspective. In terms of a show perspective, is there any particular uh, like white space? Like, would you go after a specific vertical or a specific type of content type that, you know, you mentioned interviews have to be differentiated, but you guys did, you know, kind of business breakdowns. Is there another content format or, or within tech or business or otherwise that you think you'd explore with? I think there's space to do acquired in other verticals. Like I think you could do an entire acquired show, like multi-season show on the music industry doing exactly what we do, but for artists. Um, I think it actually works in any creative endeavor because every creative endeavor is a hero's journey. And and really the secret to all of acquired is that we're telling these heroes, heroes journey stories. And really the, the funniest thing is that I finally realized is uh, we are always telling the story of a four standard deviation outlier. And so you kind of can't pattern match off of the success because they have survivorship bias. Like we're not telling the story of all the people whose names you don't know. And there was in any given, given distribution of a sufficient number of data points, there was bound to be a four standard deviation event. And so whatever end up becoming that event you know, I'm not saying it's all luck or anything. It's some combination skill and luck. We're going to tell the story of that event. And there's lots of other um, areas other than business where that that phenomenon also exists. And music is the first one that comes to mind because our, our Taylor Swift episode was so phenomenally successful and very, very fun to do. So you could imagine for um, filmmakers or chronicling uh, a, a movie or, a, you know, a, it go, going behind the scenes of how movies got made, things like that, I think w would also do well. Yeah, that, that, that's fascinating. You can even see um, in the Colossus 
Empire, the the Founders podcast also does a deep dive. Oh, it's dives. so good. Yeah. I have this interesting challenge where, you know, it's a gift and a curse not to uh, flatter myself, but I, I have, I have range <laughs> or I have a variety of different interests. The concern I have is that I have different interests that might not appeal to the same audience. And so my instinct is to create these different shows. But then, of course, it's harder to make any individual show big. So this show, for example, Media Empires, I think it's a niche show. It's interesting to people who really care about uh, creating these media empires or, or who are super fans of them. It's not a massive show. And then I have other, you know, I, I would like to create a show like Patrick O'Shaughnessy or Harris Stebbings at something in tech, but I also have different uh, interests around what's happening in cu culture or politics. And so I'm tempted partially to be like the Eric Thornburg show and its umbrella for everything I'm interested in. I'm also tempted to say, hey, no, this is the investor show. This is the media show. This is the AI show. But then I don't really get the returns to scale. Um, any ad advice on dealing with this, uh, this predicament, so to speak? Yeah, time heals it. I mean, it just uh, uh, time is time is what allows you to have lower growth coefficients if you're willing to give things more time. So I think you're describing the Tim Ferriss phenomenon, where you know I I don't listen to every episode of the Tim Ferriss show, but I know if something that I care about or someone that I care about is on Tim, he's going to do an incredible job of pulling insights out of that person or discussing that topic. And I think, uh, you know, when did Tim come out with uh, four hour work week? It was like 2005 or six or something like that. Um, and, you know, now he's this, uh, he's broken well outside of tech and angel investing and, and productivity and all the stuff he started with. And is sort of this, like, uh, he's part of the national American consciousness, but it took, Seventeen years, so I think there's a, uh, I think there's something to you can grow faster if you if you do have that super tight audience promise, um, and you are able to stay in a lane. But I, I, Dave and I talk about this a lot. Like with acquired, now that it's going on its eighth year, the the reason people listen is not because of the format anymore. It is some part because of the storytelling and the depth and the type of content, but it's just as much around being friends. And I'm using friends sort of in quotes, but being friends with David and I. And so we get a lot more latitude on what we can cover. And so I don't know, Bill, I would say um, stick to something for a while, build some heat among a certain audience to to be known for something. And frankly, for you to like get better at uh, the, the craft in some narrow way. Not, I'm not saying like, you're not great now. I, yeah. I, I, I love listening to some of your episodes and, um, uh, I don't mean to at all imply no, that no, no. like, it's not already great, but like, I, it is shocking to me how much, uh, uh, compounding happens on improving the craft and how, like, we just introduced a big change in the way that we produce episodes, seven and a half years in like a few weeks ago on their on our nfl episode and i was like oh that made it so much better again how did how did we go this long before learning that we could do that so um i would say try to focus as much as possible on building that heat with a certain audience and then once you feel like you have more latitude then you can be more of a generalist yeah no, that, that that's great advice and in general are you a fan of like combining feeds when, whenever possible so like let's give an example let's say jason calacanis didn't have this, this week in startups, or, or maybe let's say David Freeberg, I'm trying to say like the least, uh, the one with the least biggest audience of the four, 
let's say he wanted to create his own show and he had lots of different interests outside of tech, you know, that he wanted to explore on that show. And let's say the all in guys would let him do that show on the all in feed. Should he do it on the all in feed or should he create a new show uh, that is kind of like bootstrapping a new audience, you know, inspired by the all in? Like, when does something become a new show if it's like the same hosts, more or less? I think you you do one or two on the main feed to try to exfiltrate audience um, or introduce, let let people sample it, but then move it to the outside. Because every podcast feed has to stand for, uh, here's the reason that this exists for you, listener. And if it's a big mishmash of things, then you don't get to build that brand equity of the reason it exists. Like all in is a very particular flavor and it's a very particular content type and it's a very particular schedule. And like, I know to watch for my overcast notification on Friday nights and I, I know what I'm going to get. It's very clear that brand promise is real. And if that sort of changes, we're like, and then on Wednesdays you get Friedberg science corner. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. this doesn't belong in here. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, Harry Stebbings has experimented with uh, 20 minute sales and 20 minute growth, and he's putting it all in the main feed. And I I've wondered if he should separate it out. And then similarly, Patrick O'Shaughnessy has kind of different format, different types of guests. Sometimes it's tech founders, sometimes VCs, sometimes it's institutional investors, sometimes it's kind of, you know, just ra random people in, in business who've, who've done well. Um, is your instinct that either of those two should, like on the Harry example or the Patrick example, should separate it out into a separate feed? It's a good question. I mean, changing consumer behavior is ridiculously hard. And so uh, if you don't want to wait like two years to grow something to be an equivalently sized property, I, I totally see why you just keep putting it in the same feed. And, and frankly, like um, there, there's sort of a funny, if you're, if you're thinking about like long-term enterprise value, uh, you you should put it in a, a, a separate feed after you get you know one or two or three feed drops in the main feed because uh, you will be blind to the fact if they're in the same feed that people actually don't like that content type as much because you won't get that harsh feedback from the real world of like, wow, these episodes do not do as well and they don't get auto-downloaded and they don't sort of like show up to, to people. You just got to watch your analytics really closely if you're going to commingle everything into one feed like that. And if what you want to do is build an empire of like the very best content across a variety of disciplines, then I don't know, you should certainly let them, let your network do the work for you of benefiting each other at the, at the get-go. But at some point, every content type does need to stand on its own and justify its existence. And there's a balance. I mean, I'm being extra persnickety because that is my sort of personality type is to to be to a flaw, to, to be overly a purist about things. Um, but I noticed that like some people don't cross pro promote enough. I, I follow liquidity on Instagram and somehow I didn't know about this uh, really good finance newsletter lit uh, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but it's. I started subscribing to it like a week ago, and there's a whole bunch of earnings call stuff and finance headlines that I, I I wouldn't otherwise see. And I was like, how does this exist from liquidity? This thing that I thought I followed the primary account of, and it, I am the perfect consumer of this information, but it, its existence somehow never reached me. And so there's, um, you know, I think people are or at least I tend to be too shy about um, leveraging the distribution I have to build something else up. You mentioned, you know, acquired top five podcast. In the, uh, 
I'm curious, what are the other uh, podcasts kind of in, in your in your lane? And I'm curious if in three years from now, basically, like, are we early in podcasts or are we late <laughs> in podcasts? You know, in 2015, you thought it was late, but it was early. You know, in, in that three years from now, is that list going to look different? Is it going to look, is it like VC where the best ones are always the, you know, Sequoia, et cetera? How do you think about that? Good question. We are certainly, as we record this in February of 2023, in some phase of bubble burst and consolidation. Uh, there was a bunch of data that came out recently about the pace of new podcasts has slowed. Uh, I do think it's harder to break through now. It's it's one of these interesting things where theoretically on the internet, it should be the all content should be the most democratized. You should have the longest tail because it, anybody can, you know, use cheap hardware and put something out there. And at the same time, it enables these ridiculous scale winners. And I think in podcasting, what we're seeing right now is there was a wild west of a whole bunch of people starting stuff. Uh, everything was overcapitalized. I mean, the, the fact that Wondery raised the money that it did and Spotify did the deals that they did. Um, there was just a lot of money sloshing around in podcasting. And so you had a lot of excitement causing people to create more content than we really had had attention for in the world. Um, and now that interest rates are up and cash is pulling back and people are having to spend more time on their day jobs uh, and a lot of other economic re and lifestyle realities are setting in, um, you know, the, the tide's going out. And so uh, there's the whole Buffett line about you get to see who still still has their shorts on. And it's, it, it, it kind of applies here. Like, it's not like, oh, these podcast companies are massively in debt and can't make their debt service the way that it, 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 you, you would see it in a Buffett context. But you do sort of see it in a, um, is there actual audience love there? Or did that exist um, purely in uh, an environment where, people didn't have to love podcasts that much for podcasts to need to keep existing. So all this to say, I think um, the barrier to entry has gone up. I think the expectation of a level of quality has gone up. There's a reason why you're you're doing several of these interviews before you even launch the podcast and, and sort of refine it um, and, and launch the network. Um, there's a professionalization happening among advertisers. The tooling's getting better. Spotify is a major player in podcasting now and centralizes a lot of this, especially on the, um, the ad side. There's so many, so many podcasts that opt into Spotify's ad network. So, uh, I would describe it as, um, Spotify hopes to do to audio what YouTube did to video. I think we're not... Uh, I think we're maybe 15 years behind there. And, uh, you know, it would be excellent for Spotify if they actually could pull that off. I think it's going to be hard for a variety of reasons. But I would say we're maybe like 2009 of internet video right now. Given all that's happened since 2009 in video, that's an inspiring and empowering note to, to end on. Um, uh, ben, thanks so much for, you've given me a, a lot of advice and all the listeners who are thinking about creating something as well, a lot of advice uh, as well. Um, thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, and I highly recommend uh, if people haven't checked out, not just Acquired, but the Acquired LP feed. I'm happy to, to be an LP, uh, listen to almost all the LP shows as well. Um, some really great stuff. So so thanks, Ben, for kind of, uh, you know, not only sharing your advice, but also your example of raising the bar of, of what's <laughs> possible. Thanks so much, Eric. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. 
Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio, not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short form clips directly from Riverside. Because as any listener of this show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for Riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code MEDIAEMPIRES to get a 20% discount.